Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grombacher, and the time is right. Welcome to our monthly book club, and welcome our author, the strong and powerful Cameron Huddleston. Cameron, are you ready to do this? I am ready to do this. Excellent. Let's do this. Cameron is a columnist at Go Banking Rates. She's been named as a top personal finance expert. She's the author of Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, How to Have Essential Conversations with Your Parents About Their Finances. Cameron... Can you tell us a little bit about your personal life? It's more about your work and why you do what you do. Well, like you said, I am a financial journalist and I have been for more than 17 years. It's almost painful to say that because (laughs) it makes me feel old. (laughs) Um, And I've been a journalist for even longer than that. I, um, you know, my personal life really factors into this book because I am a caregiver for my mother who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease 10 years ago. And I have had to step in and help her with her finances. Certainly having the experience of being a financial journalist really helped me play that role. But I feel like I made a lot of mistakes early on. And the biggest mistake that I made was not talking to my mom soon enough about her finances. And I didn't have those conversations until she was starting to have issues with her memory, which was a huge mistake on my part, because I'm trying to have conversations with someone who is already starting to forget things. And so this is what really compelled me to write this book, because I don't want people to make the same mistake that I made. Yeah, it's 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 a, a, a wild thing. I don't know if wild is the term, but the whole physician heal thyself and you spend a career writing about money stuff, yet we all still fall victim to the inability to maybe do things the way that we should have. So it's all, 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 all too often. So I, I appreciate that. So what are you hoping that people get out of reading it? The one thing that I really want people to realize when they read this book is that these conversations, conversations with your parents about their finances need to happen sooner rather than later. You know, I often hear people say, well, you know, my parents were not at that point yet. They're, they're still healthy. They haven't even retired or I think they're doing fine financially this is a conversation that can wait. Why, you know, why have this perhaps awkward conversation when I don't really need to? And as I learn myself, this is not a conversation that can wait until a health issue arises, until a financial problem arises, because at that point, there's already already a lot of stress. Emotions are running high. And the last thing you want to do is to compound that stress by trying to have a conversation with your parents about their finances. You know, at that point, you can't wait. And you have fewer options because you haven't made a plan beforehand. I want people to realize these conversations really cannot wait. And that, unfortunately, is, again, all too often that we wait and we procrastinate on things until there's some kind of an event. It's, I really want to buy life insurance when I'm, diagnosed with some kind of a disease, but then I'm not able to do it. Or, wow, my, my, my kid's going off to college in a couple of years. I really should start saving for college. So we, we, we fall victim to procrastination at every stage of, of life. And this is certainly 
to your point, exactly, um, one that we really need to be proactive about. So getting people to, to have the conversations, understanding how to do that, I, I, I guess I guess maybe what, what, what are you hoping to accomplish with the book? When I wrote this book, I wanted to create a step-by-step guide for having conversations with your parents about their finances. And I really think I accomplished that with this book. At least I hope so. And I hope people, when they read it, will agree because I provide so much detail on how to have the conversations, what not to say, what to say, how to talk to your siblings before you even talk to your parents so you guys can all get on the same page. I have real life examples of people who had the conversation and the steps that they took. I even have tips for helping you get through to reluctant parents. And I have tips on having those really difficult conversations about long-term care or when it's time for your parents to move. And so I, you know, I really wanted to make it as comprehensive as possible to help people get through these conversations and eliminate any fears that they might have about having these conversations by making them confident enough. I think that's awesome. And it's, I think just from the short conversation that we've just had, people can probably understand, okay, yes, I definitely need to have a conversation with my parents about it, but there is a there are miles and miles and miles in between understanding that and then actually having the tools to take action and do something about it. So giving somebody that step-by-step process I think is essential and extremely valuable. Um, and there's so many different things and so many different variables and relationships and, and family dynamics that take into consideration so that you include, hey, you probably need to be talking to your siblings and other interested parties to get them on the same page so that you can be on the same page and, and, and obviously come from a place of, of love and support as you have these difficult conversations. Exactly. And that is what you just said is so important. You need to be coming from a place of love and support. The last thing you want to do is go to your parents and sound condescending. You don't want to sound like you're demanding that you give them this information. You don't want to sound like you're being selfish. And I think a lot of children are afraid to have these conversations with their parents because they don't want their parents to think that they are being selfish. Like, hey, mom and dad, let's talk about your will because I want to know if I'm getting an inheritance. You know, hopefully no one's going to even approach it that way. But I think a lot of adult children are afraid their parents are going to think that. And this is the big fear that they have. You know, this is such an awkward conversation. How in the world am I going to have it? And I, I make this point in the book that, you know, one of the first steps you have to do is get past these fears. And a lot of times I think that the fears that you have about having these conversations with your parents are overblown. You, you've made it out to be something in your mind that's probably not going to happen. If you have a pretty good relationship with your parents and you come to them and let them know, mom and dad, I really want to look out for your best interest. If you ever need help from me, I want to be able to provide that help. But in order to do that, we need to have these conversations. And if you can make it clear that you want to have these conversations because you have their best interest at heart, most likely they will 
respond to you. They will they will start opening up. Of course, there are going to be some parents who are going to say, no way, it's none of your business. And then I have some strategies in the book to help people deal with those sort of situations. But most people, when they go to their parents, their parents are not going to get angry with them. I mean, these are your parents. They're going to love you. They might feel a little bit awkward initially responding to these requests, but at the end of the conversation, hopefully once you have it, your parents are going to be grateful that you did bring up the topic. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's probably a hundred percent true. And it's, it's a totally natural thing to, to have these fears, right? It's, it's totally human. And certainly we avoid talking about money for the majority of our lives. And, you know, we, we, we have a hard time processing it personally and pro- probably have a hard time talking about it with our spouses. And so talking about it with our folks and then you um, then you factor in or add in, um, you know, health and, and eventually dying. I'm, I'm searching for the term, but I'm, 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 uh, you factor in mortality and, and being frail and all those things. So it does. It, it, it certainly is a challenging conversation, but you shouldn't make a mountain out of a molehill. And I guess, again, the value is here's the tools for actually doing it. Right. And I think a lot of times people don't realize the urgency in these conversations. You know, they think, well, you know, really, this is none of my business. Why? Why should I even ask my parents about their finances? And and my response to that, that thought, that statement is, you will have to be involved in your parents' financial lives one way or the other. You're going to be involved when they die, naturally, because you're going to have to deal with what they left behind. And if they die without a will, it's really going to be a huge mess, potentially, that you're going to have to to clean up and deal with. And if you had just happened to have a conversation beforehand, hey, mom and dad, do you happen to have a will that spells out your wishes? We want to be able to to abide by those wishes. We want to grant those wishes. You know, just even mentioning that might, you know, push them into the door of an attorney's office. You know, but when they are still alive, there's a good chance you will have to get involved with their finances, too, because people are living longer. They are more likely to experience health issues as they age, including dementia, as in the case with my mom. And if your parents develop dementia, you will be involved in their financial lives. And if you wait to have this conversation when they are already having trouble remembering things, it really can be too late because legal documents such as a power of attorney, a healthcare power of attorney, even a will, all of those things have to be signed while you are still competent. If you do not name someone to be a power of attorney, that's someone who can make financial decisions for you. If you don't do it before there's some sort of health issue or dementia that leaves you incompetent, then what will happen is that someone will have to go to court to be named your conservator. And that is a lengthy, expensive process that no family should have to go to because basically what you're doing is putting your parent on trial to prove that they're not mentally competent to manage their finances on their own. And I don't think that most people realize that this is something that could happen. And that's such a real thing. It is such a real thing because I interviewed someone for my book who had to do that. He spent $10,000 
going through the court process, hiring a neuropsychiatrist to, you know, testify that his dad had Alzheimer's and couldn't handle his finances on his own. He had to help pay for his dad's medical bills out of pocket until he actually had legal access to his dad's account. It was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare for this man. So this is going to happen, right? It will happen. This this is going to happen. So you either choose to be proactive about it or or it happens to you. And then I don't know if it's a worst case scenario or not, but our society protects our most at-risk people from children to, to seniors. And the reason that these things are in place is so that people do not take advantage of them. And so while you may have zero intention of taking advantage of your parents, they still need to make sure that you're not. And there's a lot of people who will be involved, and to your point, in $10,000, but I think this guy is probably the limit for legal costs. Anybody who's ever had to use attorneys and go to court, you realize that it's time-consuming and resource-consuming. Um, better to work on this on the front end. Exactly. It's going to cost you so much less to meet with an attorney and draft those estate planning documents. I mean, we're talking a fraction of the cost of the court costs that you or your family members are going to have to deal with if you don't have these documents in place. So the biggest things that people want to avoid, I mean, so that's, I, there are so many, so many challenging situations that, that, life kind of throws at us. Um, but so what, what are some of those really, really important steps? You, you, you mentioned wills, power of attorney. Um, what are some of the other ones? So as I mentioned too, you really want to have conversations with your siblings if you have them. And the reason this is so important is because I've talked to so many people who end up having fights, arguments, falling out with their siblings because there's disagreement over how to help the parents. And it's beca- it's often because they did not have these conversations beforehand. They are having these conversations when there's an emergency. You know, I there's a woman I interviewed for my book whose father died and her mother was living alone in her house and really wasn't in a position where she could be alone anymore. And my my friend who um, had two brothers, they were all in disagreement over what to do with mom. And if if they had had these conversations sooner when they saw that their father's health was starting to cl- decline, then they wouldn't have been making decisions when everyone was feeling stressed about the death of their father. And like, what are we going to do now? If they had had them before when everyone wasn't feeling the pressure of having to act so quickly then I think a lot of these arguments that they've had since their father died about how to help mom and what's best for mom, they wouldn't have happened. Yeah. You know, so the sibling conversation is really important. The talking to the parents about what sort of estate planning documents, legal documents they have in place, you know, even having conversations about long-term care before you need it. Because at that time, it's a hypothetical what if you need long-term care, mom and dad? You, I know you don't want to have to think about it. No one wants to have to think about relying on someone to care for them. But let's talk about it now so that if it, you ever do need this sort of care, I'm going to know what sort of care you want and how we're going to pay for it. Because 
here's what often happens. Most people do not have any sort of long-term care plan. Their plan is their children. And certainly, if you are an adult child, don't you want to know if you are your parents' long-term care plan? Because that is going to affect your finances. You know, suddenly, mom, you know, has had a stroke and she can no longer function on her own. And she has no no sort of long-term care insurance, no savings set aside. And now you have to stop working to take care of mom. And you had no idea that this was a role that you were going to have to play and you're not prepared for it financially. Having these conversations sooner rather than later can help you develop these plans so that your finances don't take a hit either. Yeah, there's 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 no question about that. That's really great advice. Uh, as as we're talking, I, I, I wonder, and I think that there probably has been a paradigm shift in, in our country as as things have changed, but then also as people have become more mobile and they've moved away from where they grew up and many of us don't necessarily live in the same place our parents lived. And so, and I also think that perhaps um, a couple of generations ago, there was more of an expectations that, that, that children would eventually take care of their parents. Um, Do you have thoughts on that? You know, I've seen a lot of surveys that actually show that most parents do not want to be a burden on their kids. So I think there has been more of a shift away from that expectation that kids will take care of you as you age. Now, does that mean that people are actually doing something to make? (laughs) (laughs) No, they're not. You know, most, a very small percentage of people have long-term care insurance, which is the only type of insurance that will pay for long-term care. Medicare does not pay for long-term care. Health insurance does not pay for long-term care. There are some types of life insurance policies that have basically a long-term care benefit. But if you have that type of policy, you know it. You know, it's not going to be like, oh, hey, I have this life insurance policy. Maybe it covers long-term care. No, it's something you have to set up when you purchase your policy. Medicaid does cover long-term care, but I think as most people realize, there are there are income requirements. Actually, you have to have a very low income to qualify for Medicaid. And so there are a lot of hoops you have to jump through to qualify for it. Um, but I, I, you are right that a lot of us no longer live close to our parents. And so being able to help out will be difficult, which means a lot of people are going to have to rely on paid care. And so that's why, again, these conversations need to happen because if you are living in Texas and mom and dad live in New York, you need to have this conversation now. Mom and dad, we live far apart. If you ever need help, what is the plan? I live states away from you. I live miles away from you. How can we ensure that you get the care you need? Because I don't think that this is the type of care I can provide for you. Mm. And so certainly it needs to be a conversation that happens. Planning has not yet caught up with desires. I think that's also <laughs> very like mom and dad don't necessarily want to be hanging out with the kids. The kids don't necessarily want to be doing that, but well, in order for that to actually take place, planning needs to happen. So I, I appreciate that very much. So as our conversation is drawing to a close, other main ideas you really want to reinforce? I think we talked about a lot of them. Obviously these conversations can't wait If you have fears about the conversations, you really do need to get past them 
because as I explained, the consequences of not having these conversations are a lot worse than that initial awkwardness of bringing up the topic. So I really want people to realize that more than anything. And I I want people to realize that even though these conversations might be a little bit awkward at first, they will give both you and your parents peace of mind because you will have a plan. You will have the information you need to help them out if they ever do need help. And they might never need your help. But as I mentioned earlier, when your parents do pass away, if they leave behind anything and don't have a will, you and your siblings and other family members are going to have to sort through that. And if there's nothing guiding you about where your parents want things to go, then, you know, that can lead to a lot of arguments among family members. There's no question about that. And we've all been carrying or uh, through our lives, we've, we've all carried things around carried around the fact that we know we have to have a conversation about something and it weighs on us and it weighs on us and it weighs on us until we actually have it. And a couple of things will happen. First and foremost, you may find that, you know, that really wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But even if it was challenging, when it's over, you will take an enormous sigh of relief and you'll be so glad that you actually had the conversation. And from what it sounds like, Cameron, is that this book will give you all the tools that you need to actually do it. I certainly hope it does. Excellent. Well, Cameron, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you and where can they get a copy of the book? Well, you can visit my website, CameronHuddleston.com, and there are links on the website to order a copy through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, through my publisher, Wiley. And excuse me, if you pre-order the book, you can get a free downloadable conversation starter cheat sheet that's going to help you get through the conversation a little bit easier. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Cameron your appreciation and pick up a copy of the book. Um, share the show with somebody who you think would be um, would, would benefit from listening and get them a copy of the book as well. Thank you again, Cameron. Thank you. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Before I go, quick announcement. I've been asked by so many people over the past couple of years about how do I start a podcast that I've developed and released a course that will teach you exactly how to do that step by step from figuring out the kind of show that you want to have to understanding how all the technology works behind it, and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georgegrombacher.com forward slash podcast course, and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing. Leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.